A Flight from Volume 3 of Household Words. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. A Flight by Charles Dickens. Household Words, Volume 3. When Don Diego de. I forget his name the inventor of the last new flying machines, priced so many francs for ladies, so many more for gentlemen, when Don Diego, by permission of Deputy Chaff, Wax, and his noble band, shall have taken out a patent for the Queen's Dominions, and shall have opened a commodious warehouse in an airy situation, and when all persons of any gentility will keep at least a pair of wings, and be seen skimming about in every direction, I shall take a flight to Paris, as I soar round the world, in a cheap and independent manner. At present my reliance is on the South Eastern Railway Company, in whose express train here I sit at eight of the clock on a very hot morning, under the very hot roof of the terminus at London Bridge, in danger of being forced, like a cucumber or a melon, or a pineapple. And talking of pineapples, I suppose there never were so many pineapples in a train as there appear to be in this train. Whew! The hothouse air is faint with pineapples. Every French citizen or citizeness is carrying pineapples home. The compact little enchantress in the corner of my carriage, French actress, to whom I yielded up my heart under the auspices of that brave child, Meatshell, at the St. James's Theatre the night before last, has a pineapple in her lap. Compact enchantress's friend, confidant, mother, mystery, heaven knows what, has two pineapples in her lap and a bundle of them under her seat. Tobacco-smoky Frenchman in Algerine wrapper, with a peaked hood behind, who might be Abdel Kader dyed rifle green, and who seems to be dressed entirely in dirt and braid, carries pineapples in a covered basket. Tall, grave, melancholy Frenchman with black Van Dyke beard and hair close cropped, with expansive chest to waistcoat and compressive waist to coat, saturnine as to his pantaloons, calm as to his feminine boots, precious as to his jewelry, smooth and white as to his linen, dark-eyed, high-foreheaded, hawk-nosed, got up, one thinks, like Lucifer or Mephistopheles, or Zamiel, transformed into a highly genteel Parisian, has the green end of a pineapple sticking out of his neat valise. <sighs> If I were to be kept here long under this forcing frame, I wonder what would become of me, whether I should be forced into a giant, or should sprout or blow into some other phenomenon. Compact Enchantress is not ruffled by the heat. She is always composed, always compact. Oh, look at her little ribbons, frills, and edges. At her shawl, at her gloves, at her hair, at her bracelets, at her bonnet, at everything about her. How is it accomplished? What does she do to be so neat? How is it that every trifle she wears belongs to her, and cannot choose but to be a part of her? And even Mystery, look at her, a model. Mystery is not young, not pretty, though still of an average candlelight passability. But she does such miracles in her own behalf, that one of these days, when she dies, they'll be amazed to find an old woman in her bed, distantly like her. She was an actress once, I shouldn't wonder, and had a mystery attendant on herself. Perhaps compact enchantress will live to be a mystery. 
and to wait with a shawl at the side scenes, and to sit opposite to Mademoiselle in railway carriages, and smile and talk subserviently, as mystery does now. That's hard to believe. Two Englishmen, and now our carriage is full. First Englishman, in the moneyed interest flushed, highly respectable stock exchange, perhaps city, certainly. Faculties of second Englishman entirely absorbed in hurry. Plunges into the carriage, blind. Calls out of window concerning his luggage, deaf. Suffocates himself under pillows of great coats, for no reason and in a demented manner. Will receive no assurance from any porter whatsoever. Is stout and hot and wipes his head and makes himself hotter by breathing so hard, is totally incredulous respecting assurance of collected guard that there's no hurry. No hurry, and a flight to Paris in eleven hours. It is all one to me in this drowsy corner, hurry or no hurry. Until Don Diego shall send home my wings, my flight is with the Southeastern Company. I can fly with the Southeastern, more lazily, at all events, than in the upper air. I have but to sit here thinking as idly as I please, and be whisked away. I am not accountable to anybody for the idleness of my thoughts in such an idle summer flight. My flight is provided for by the Southeastern, and is no business of mine. The bell, with all my heart, it does not require me to do so much as even to flap my wings. Something snorts for me. Something shrieks for me. Something proclaims to everything else that it had better keep out of my way. And away I go. Ah, oh, the fresh air is pleasant after the forcing frame, though it does blow over these interminable streets and scatter the smoke of this vast wilderness of chimneys. Here we are, no, I mean there we were, for it has darted far into the rear in Bermondsey where the tanners live. Plash! The distant shipping in the Thames is gone. Whirr! The little streets of new brick and red tile with here and there a flagstaff growing like a tall weed out of the scarlet beans, and everywhere plenty of open sewer and ditch for the promotion of the public health, has been fired off in a volley. Whiz! Dust heaps, market gardens, and waste grounds. Rattle, New Cross Station, shock, there we were at Croydon. Brrrr, the tunnel. I wonder why it is that when I shut my eyes in a tunnel, I begin to feel as if I were going at an express pace the other way. I am clearly going back to London now. Compact Enchantress must have forgotten something and reversed the engine. No, after long darkness, pale fitful streaks of light appear. I am still flying on for Folkestone. The streaks grow stronger, become continuous, become the ghost of day, become the living day. Became, I mean. The tunnel is miles and miles away, and here I fly through sunlight, all among the harvest and the Kentish hops. There is a dreamy pleasure in this flying. I wonder where it was and when it was that we exploded, blew into space somehow, a parliamentary train, with a crowd of heads and faces looking at us out of cages, and some hats waving. Moneyed interest says it was at Reigate Station. Expounds to mystery how Reigate Station is so many miles from London, which mystery again develops to compact enchantress. There might be neither a Reigate nor a London for me, as I fly away among Kentish hops and harvest. What do I care? Bang, we have let another station off and fly away regardless. Everything is flying. The hop gardens turn gracefully towards me, presenting regular avenues of hops in rapid flight, then whirl away. So do the pools and rushes, haystacks, sheep, clover in full bloom, delicious to sight and smell, 
corn sheaves, cherry orchards, apple orchard, reapers, gleaners, hedges, gates, fields that taper off into little angular corners, cottages, gardens, now and then a church. Bang, bang, a double-barreled station. Now a wood, now a bridge, now a landscape, now a cutting, now a bang, a single-barreled station. There was a cricket match somewhere with two white tents, and then four flying cows, then turnips now. The wires of the electric telegraph are all alive and spin and blur their edges and go up and down and make the intervals between each other most irregular, contracting and expanding in the strangest manner. Now we slacken. With a screwing and a grinding and a smell of water thrown on ashes, now we stop. Demented traveler, who has been for two or three minutes watchful, clutches his greatcoats, plunges at the door, rattles it, cries, Hi! Eager to embark on board of impassable packets far inland. Collected guard appears. Are you for Tunbridge, sir? Tunbridge? No, Paris. Plenty of time, sir. No hurry. Five minutes here, sir, for refreshment. I'm so blessed, anticipating Zamiel by half a second, as to procure a glass of water for compact enchantress. Who would suppose we had been flying at such a rate, and shall take wing again directly? Refreshment room full, platform full, porter with watering pot deliberately cooling a hot wheel, another porter with equal deliberation helping the rest of the wheels bountifully to ice cream. Moneyed interest and I re-entering the carriage first, and being there alone, he intimates to me that the French are no-go as a nation. I ask, why? He says, that reign of terror of theirs was quite enough. I ventured to inquire whether he remembers anything that preceded said reign of terror. He says, not particularly. Because, I remark, the harvest that is reaped has sometimes been sown. Moneyed interest repeats, as quite enough for him, that the French are revolutionary, and always at it. Bell, compact enchantress, helped in by Zamiel, whom the stars confound, gives us her charming little side-box look, and smites me to the core. Mystery-eating sponge cake. Pineapple atmosphere faintly tinged with suspicions of sherry. Demented traveler flits past the carriage, looking for it, is blind with agitation, and can't see it seems singled out by destiny to be the only unhappy creature in the flight who has any cause to hurry himself, is nearly left behind, is seized by collected guard after the train is in motion and bundled in, still has lingering suspicions that there must be a boat in the neighborhood, and will look wildly out of window for it. Flight resumed. Corn sheaves, hop gardens, reapers, gleaners, apple orchards, cherry orchards, Stations single and double-barreled. Ashford, compact enchantress, constantly talking to mystery in an exquisite manner, gives a little scream, a sound that seems to come from high up in her precious little head, from behind her bright little eyebrows. Great heaven, my pineapple! My angel, it is lost! Mystery is desolated, a search made. It is not lost. Zamiel finds it. I curse him lying in the persian manner may his face be turned upside down and jackasses sit upon his uncle's grave now fresher air now glimpses of unenclosed downland with flapping crows flying over it whom we soon outfly now the sea now folkestone at a quarter after ten tickets ready gentlemen demented dashes at the door for paris sir 
no hurry not the least we are dropped slowly down to the port and sidle to and fro the whole train before the insensible royal george hotel for some ten minutes the royal george takes no more heed of us than its namesake underwater at spithead or under earth at windsor does the royal george's dog lies winking and blinking at us without taking the trouble to sit up and the royal george's wedding party at the open window who seem i must say rather tired of bliss don't bestow a solitary glance upon us flying thus to paris in eleven hours the first gentleman in folkestone is evidently used up on this subject meanwhile demented chafes conceives that every man's hand is against him and exerting itself to prevent his getting to paris refuses consolation rattles door sees smoke on the horizon and knows it's the boat gone without him moneyed interest resentfully explains that he is going to paris too demented signifies that if moneyed interest chooses to be left behind he don't refreshments in the waiting-room ladies and gentlemen no hurry ladies and gentlemen for paris no hurry whatever twenty minutes pause by folkestone clock for looking at enchantress while she eats a sandwich and at mystery while she eats of everything there is that is eatable from pork pie sausage jam and gooseberries to lumps of sugar all this time there is a very waterfall of luggage with a spray of dust tumbling slantwise from the pier into the steamboat all this time demented who has no business with it watches it with starting eyes fiercely requiring to be shown his luggage when it at last concludes the cataract he rushes hotly to refresh is shouted after pursued jostled brought back pitched into the departing steamer upside down and caught by mariners disgracefully a lovely harvest day a cloudless sky a tranquil sea the piston rods of the engine so regularly coming up from below to look as well they may at the bright weather and so regularly almost knocking their iron heads against the crossbeam of the skylight and never doing it another parisian actress is on board attended by another mystery compact enchantress greets her sister artist oh the compact one's pretty teeth and mystery greets mystery my mystery soon ceases to be conversational is taken poorly in a word having lunched too miscellaneously and goes below the remaining mystery then smiles upon the sister artists who i am afraid wouldn't greatly mind stabbing each other and is upon the whole ravished and now i find that all the french people on board begin to grow and all the english people to shrink the french are nearing home and shaking off a disadvantage whereas we are shaking it on zamiel is the same man and abdul Kader is the same man but each seems to come into possession of an indescribable confidence that departs from us from moneyed interest for instance and from me just what they gain we lose certain british gents about the steersman intellectually nurtured at home on parody of everything and truth of nothing become subdued and in a manner forlorn and when the steersman tells them not unexultingly how he has been upon this station now eight year and never see the old town of bullen yet one of them with an imbecile reliance on a reed asks him what he considers to be the best hotel in paris now i tread upon french ground and am greeted by the three charming words liberty equality fraternity painted up in letters a little too thin for their height on the custom-house wall also by the side of large cocked hats without which demonstrative headgear 
nothing of a public nature can be done upon this soil all the rabid hotel population of boulogne howl and shriek outside a distant barrier frantic to get at us demented by some unlucky means peculiar to himself is delivered over to their fury and is presently seen struggling in a whirlpool of touters is somehow understood to be going to paris is with infinite noise rescued by two cocked hats and brought into custom-house bondage with the rest of us here i resign the active duties of life to an eager being of preternatural sharpness with a shelving forehead and a shabby snuff-coloured coat who from the wharf brought me down with his eye before the boat came into port he darts upon my luggage on the floor where all the luggage is strewn like a wreck at the bottom of the great deep gets it proclaimed and weighed as the property of monsieur a traveller unknown pays certain francs for it to a certain functionary behind a pigeon-hole like a pay-box at a theatre the arrangements in general are on a wholesale scale half military and half theatrical and i suppose i shall find it when i come to paris he says i shall i know nothing about it except that i pay him his small fee and pocket the ticket he gives me and sit upon a counter involved in the general distraction railway station lunch or dinner ladies and gentlemen plenty of time for paris plenty of time large hall long counter long strips of dining-table bottles of wine plates of meat roast chickens little loaves of bread basins of soup little carafes of brandy cakes and fruit comfortably restored from these resources i begin to fly again i saw zamiel before i took wing presented to compact enchantress and sister artist by an officer in uniform with a waist like a wasp's and pantaloons like two balloons they all got into the next carriage together accompanied by the two mysteries they laughed i am alone in the carriage for i don't consider demented anybody and alone in the world fields windmills low grounds pollard trees windmills fields fortifications abbeville soldiering and drumming i wonder where england is and when i was there last about two years ago i should say flying in and out among these trenches and batteries skimming the clattering drawbridges looking down into the stagnant ditches i become a prisoner of state escaping i am confined with a comrade in a fortress our room is in an upper story we have tried to get up the chimney but there's an iron grating across it embedded in the masonry after months of labor we have worked the grating loose with the poker and can lift it up we have also made a hook and twisted our rugs and blankets into ropes our plan is to go up the chimney hook our ropes to the top descend hand over hand upon the roof of the guardhouse far below shake the hook loose watch the opportunity of the sentinels pacing away hook again drop into the ditch swim across it creep into the shelter of the wood the time has come a wild and stormy night we are up the chimney we are on the guardhouse roof we are swimming in the murky ditch when lo Kivla! a bugle the alarm a crash what is it death no amiens more fortifications more soldiering and drumming more basins of soup more little loaves of bread more bottles of wine more carafes of brandy more time for refreshment everything good and everything ready bright unsubstantial looking scenic sort of station 
People waiting. Houses, uniforms, beards, mustaches, some sabots, plenty of neat women, and a few old-visaged children. Unless it be a delusion born of my giddy flight, the grown-up people and the children seem to change places in France. In general, the boys and girls are little old men and women, and the men and women lively little boys and girls. Bugle, shriek, flight resumed. Moneyed interest has come into my carriage. Says the manner of refreshing is not bad, but considers it French. Admits great dexterity and politeness in the attendants. Thinks a decimal currency may have something to do with their despatch in settling accounts, and don't know but what it's sensible and convenient. Adds, however, as a general protest, that they're a revolutionary people, and always at it. Ramparts, canals, cathedral, river, soldiering and drumming. Open country, river, earthenware manufacturers. Creer. Again, ten minutes. Not even demented in a hurry. Station, a drawing room with a veranda, like a planter's house. Moneyed interest considers it a bandbox, and not made to last little round tables in it, at one of which the sister artists and attendant mysteries are established with Wasp and Zamuel, as if they were going to stay a week. Anon, with no more trouble than before, I am flying again, and lazily wondering as I fly. What has the southeastern done with all the horrible little villages we used to pass through in the diligence? What have they done with all the summer dust, with all the winter mud, with all the dreary avenues of little trees, with all the ramshackle post-yards, with all the beggars, who used to turn out at night with bits of lighted candle to look in at the coach windows, with all the long-tailed horses who were always biting one another, with all the big postilions and jackboots, with all the moldy cafes that we used to stop at, where a long mildewed tablecloth set forth with jovial bottles of vinegar and oil, and with a Siamese arrangement of pepper and salt, was never wanting. Where are those grass-grown little towns, the wonderful little market-places all unconscious of markets, the shops that nobody kept, the streets that nobody trod, the churches that nobody went to, the bells that nobody rang, the tumble-down old buildings plastered with many-colored bills that nobody read? Where are the two-and-twenty weary hours of long, long day-and-night journey, sure to be either insupportably hot or insupportably cold? Where are the pains in my bones? Where are the fidgets in my legs? Where is the Frenchman with the nightcap who never would have the little coop window down, and who always fell upon me when he went to sleep, and always slept all night snoring onions? A voice breaks in with, Paris, here we are. I have overflown myself, perhaps, but I can't believe it. I feel as if I were enchanted or bewitched. It is barely eight o'clock, yet it is nothing like half-past when I have had my luggage examined at that briskest of custom-houses attached to the station, and am rattling over the pavement in a hackney cabriolet. Surely not the pavement of Paris. Yes, I think it is, too. I don't know any other place where there are all these high houses, all these haggard-looking wine-shops, all these billiard-tables, all these stocking-makers with flat red or yellow legs of wood for signboard, all these fuel shops with stacks of billets painted outside, and real billets sawing in the gutter, all these dirty corners of streets, all these cabinet pictures over dark doorways representing discreet matrons nursing babies. And yet this morning I'll think of it in a warm bath. 
very like a small room that I remember in the Chinese baths upon the boulevard, certainly. And though I see it through the steam, I think that I might swear to that peculiar hot linen basket, like a large wicker hourglass. When can it have been that I left home? When was it that I paid through to Paris at London Bridge, and discharged myself of all responsibility except the preservation of a voucher ruled into three divisions, of which the first was snipped off at Folkestone, the second aboard the boat, and the third taken at my journey's end? It seems to have been ages ago. Calculation is useless. I will go out for a walk. The crowds in the streets, the lights in the shops and balconies, the elegance, variety, and beauty of their decorations, the number of the theatres, the brilliant cafés with their windows thrown up high, and their vivacious groups at little tables on the pavement, the light and glitter of the houses turned as it were inside out, soon convince me that it is no dream, that I am in Paris, howsoever I got here. I stroll down to the sparkling Palais Royal, up the Rue de Rivoli, to the Place Vendôme. As I glance into a prince shop window, moneyed interest my late travelling companion comes upon me laughing with the highest relish of disdain here's the people he says pointing to napoleon in the window and napoleon on the column only one idea all over paris a monomania Humph. i think i have seen napoleon's match there was a statue when i came away at hyde park corner and another in the city and a print or two in the shops I walk up to the Barrier de l'Etoile, sufficiently dazed by my flight to have had a pleasant doubt of the reality of everything about me, of the lively crowd, the overhanging trees, the performing dogs, the hobby horses, the beautiful perspectives of shining lamps, the hundred and one enclosures where the singing is, in gleaming orchestras of azure and gold, and where a star-eyed hoary comes round with a box for voluntary offering. So I pass to my hotel, enchanted, suck, enchanted, go to bed, enchanted, pushing back this morning, if it really were this morning, into the remoteness of time, blessing the southeastern company for realizing the Arabian nights in these prose days, murmuring as I wing my idle flight into the land of dreams. No hurry, ladies and gentlemen. Going to Paris in eleven hours. It is so well done that there really is no hurry. End of A Flight.